Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Dynamic, Trending Health explores industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Jen Burke. Social, non-medical factors, including economic factors, neighborhoods, employment, and physical safety, play a major role in individual and population health. I'm here with Dynamic's Mindy McGrath and Ryan Hummel to discuss how partnerships and technology solutions are addressing key social determinants of health and what leaders should be thinking about as the system evolves its focus and investment in whole person care. I've seen statistics like 50% of health outcomes can be traced back to your zip code. What are some of the most impactful social determinants of health we're seeing being targeted today? Hey, Jen. Yeah, there are so many elements, and I think, you know, it bears repeating uh, that so many elements that make up who we are as a community, as a nation, or as a people or a neighborhood. There's the biology, genetics, DNA of who we are, our traits as a person, and the environment that we live in. I think over the last several years, these characteristics have gotten a little bit more coverage on their impact to our physical and emotional health. Um, because they've historically been absent in the conversation about healthcare, and we, we've tr- treated folks for being sick. Um, and to be a true model of healthcare or to really manage the whole person, um, we need to really take into consideration those social determinants. One of those major elements is food insecurity. What that means in, in kind of our general sense is people that are food insecure just means that they cannot reliably reliably get nutritious foods to their dinner table or lunch table or breakfast table in an easy fashion. And because of the food insecurity that exists in our nation, um, they're more likely, these folks are more likely to have chronic illnesses and even polychronic illnesses like diabetes, um, be obese, be in poorer health. And we know that diabetes has been one of the most expensive expensive medical conditions in the country. And there are companies, you know, even in the payer space that, and in the provider space that are really doing something about that, that we're seeing, you know, you think of Blue Cross, North Carolina, um, they're partnering with so many organizations across um, the greater, the greater market that they serve, including the benefits data trust that we may talk about a little bit later, MANA, Food Bank, um, to really boost enrollment and get these foods, these nutritious foods to the right folks. And the idea is not just to directly get this food to the communities, but really to educate their members and beneficiaries about these programs, because education is key, right? And making sure that the populations are educated is really one step in the process of kind of managing the whole person health. And I think, you know, there's other companies and healthcare systems like Geisinger that address food insecurity as well. Um, and Geisinger really focuses on um, the children, right? There's a lot of children that are food insecure due to just kind of their, their place in the world. Something like uh, 23% of, of, of the children in, in Geisinger's uh, marketplace, and this was a study done in, a couple of years ago, um, are food insecure. So food insecurity is a huge piece of this. And, you know, we, I could talk a lot about this. I think really the idea of whole person care and the elements that we're going to address, talk a little bit about going upstream and that idea of addressing situations before they become situations. Yeah, Ryan, I think 
when we are talking about this idea of whole person care, it is about going beyond the healthcare system, right? It's looking at the environments in which people live, in which they age, right? And how those environments and the situations that they, um, they have to address start to drive utilization of healthcare services. I mean, you mentioned food insecurity. One of the things we know from some recent studies is that food insecurity can, um, can really drive an additional $53 billion in cost to the healthcare system. So it is something that the healthcare system is starting to pay attention to, specifically as they, we get into more of these value-based models where population health becomes a critical success factor, right, in addressing social determinants of health. You know, another, um, another aspect of this that I think plays a huge role in social determinants of health is when we talk about housing. You know, inadequate housing and poor health are inextricably linked. There are a multitude of um, studies that really suggest that complex health needs are exacerbated when somebody is homeless, when they have housing instability, or when their homes are in disrepair. And, you know, we call it housing poverty here in the United States, but 75% of all extremely low-income families pay more than half of their income on rent. So when you do the math, right, that, that leaves very little to be able to invest in things like the right foods, right, the proper diet, um, other things that may impact your environment outside of housing. And, you know, I think about housing specifically, and it's been interesting to see some healthcare organizations really jumping into to the mix here to try to help address this. You know, specifically Kaiser Permanente, which they're a payer, they're a provider, they're a really dominant force, right, in California. And I think what they have learned over the years is that homelessness and inadequate housing are major health issues. I mean, that's how they classify that. They know that safe and stable housing is a key determinant for both physical and that the mental health component that you spoke of. I think it's also interesting to see someone like a CVS Health that's um, invested $114 million in developing affordable housing. I mean, undoubtedly, the role that pharmacy plays from a bricks and mortar standpoint in all communities has a beneficial impact. But now CVS is looking further, you know, beyond the core of their services and saying, okay, how do we start to influence and assist some of the pressing needs that impact individuals' health? And so, you know, they've invested in this, this um, effort to basically construct about 2,800 affordable housing units in 30 cities across 12 states, I believe it is. And I think that the goal is to continue to do this because they recognize that equitable access to stable and supportive housing serves as one of the greatest barriers to better health for many people. And so we, when I think about social determinants of health, part of what we're talking about beyond just these specific things like housing and food insecurity is access. You know, they act as a barrier, and if you can get past that barrier, then you're providing people access. And that has some direct linkage then to how people may utilize the healthcare system and what it means to their health overall. And when I think about housing and food insecurity, the next thing that comes to my mind when we think about social determinants of health is the financial security aspect of it, because we keep talking about the access to housing and, and um, food how expensive that proposition is for many. Think about the financial strain, right, that mm. that then places on individuals. And 
how it becomes a, a very important factor, right, in making things like healthcare decisions, especially if you're a low-income individual. You may forego care in favor of basic needs like your food and your rent. And a lot of research has been done, you know, that suggests that, um, you know, financial security, if you, if you can address that, it starts to hit on the other topics that we just talked about. And I think it's interesting to see, you know, somebody like an independent Blue Cross, right, that's jumping into this and saying, okay, so how can we help our members overcome some of the financial um, security issues that they face? And they partnered or launched a, a recent program called Gradfin. And it's really to help, you know, some of the greater Philadelphia region who collectively owe a lot of money in school loans, alleviate some of that stress associated with the debt. And I think from, from IBC's perspective, right, this is another way to demonstrate the plan's ongoing commitment to finding new benefits that help address our members' whole health. And I thought that was a really telling statement by Brian Lobley. Is like, they are really looking at members and saying, okay, if we th we're thinking about their health, clearly we're thinking about their health care, but now we're starting to think beyond that and figuring out like what's going on in their environment that we can help ease the stress from, and this is one area. So, you know, I think that this all kind of knits together in different ways, like each one of these social determinants of health that we're talking about kind of feed into one another um, in almost like a domino type of effect. One other area that we can chat about is this idea of transportation, right? So, okay, so we've talked about finance, we've talked about housing and the issue there, and we've talked about food insecurity, but there's this other big element of how do we get folks, patients, communities to go and see um, the provider uh, when they should see the provider at the right time in the right way. And there are no shortage of companies and startup groups that are doing really great work on how patients can get to the doctor's offices uh, appropriately. You know, you think about Lyft Pass, which is letting its patients book their own rides to doctor's office. Um, and they have provided countless rides to COVID vaccination sites. You know, we're, we're sitting in Philadelphia. It's a great local company called Round Trip, which enables, um, or, or the problem that they're trying to solve is the fact that 10,000 patients miss or delay care due to a transportation barrier. So they provide and partner with healthcare professionals and providers and even payers to help coordinate um, and provide online and mobile tools that make patients easier to get to their destination for healthcare. And I think that it's just another one of those key elements of managing whole person health and connecting folks utilizing non-emergency transportation is, is just a key. And, and we're seeing lots of rideshare companies emerge uh, and, and hopefully more will come about. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, Jen, when you ask this question, right, it's like, what are some of the social determinants of health that are, are kind of rising up right now? And these are just examples of a couple. But I think, you know, ultimately, when I'm thinking about what does this mean for healthcare organizations, right? it means that they've, they're going to have to cull through, you know, a complex set of interactions and feedback loops and programs that are out there to try to help individuals, um, you know, who are suffering with poor health, who are trying to tackle some of these big social determinants of health. And it becomes evident, I think, to me, that no one organization 
is able to go it alone, right? It's going to take a village in order to help meet individuals' needs. And if we really think of our healthcare system and the goal of it, which is to become you know, truly the highest performing healthcare system, it is going to require looking beyond you know, what we currently do in today's healthcare world and expanding that to start to integrate these social determinants of, of health as part of the practice that we employ when we think about an individual as a whole person and the environments and the, the communities in which they live. I think that complexity and fragmentation in both the healthcare and social services systems is part of the reason we're starting to see this wave of startups and software solutions that are really focused on linking patients to social services. At that point of care, we're seeing things like the NowPow personalized community referral platform, which is trying to promote this idea of how can we get providers to prescribe social services in the same way that they're prescribing medications. And back in 2020, this company forged a relationship with New York City Health and Hospitals, you know, one of the largest public health systems in the nation to help address food and housing insecurities among those millions of patients. And I think that's just one example that we're seeing of, you know, taking that sort of community nexus of the care office and using it as a jumping off point to work with social services or work with social workers and start to connect the health system to the social service system. Jen, I think that's a really good point. And there's no shortage of, of groups and firms working to kind of connect uh, populations and build coordinated care networks. But one, one such company is called Unite Us. And they're, they're an interesting technology company, a data technology co company that I mentioned builds builds coordinated care networks nationwide to match uh, providers and patients with things like housing and wraparound support for those struggling um, now, even before the pandemic, but actually after the pandemic. And Unite, Unite Us, I think, initially served the military population and it built its networks to build these connected community organizations. And we're seeing them grow and they've expanded to something like 42 states and 16 new statewide networks. And, you know, it's interesting when we think about these companies and we can name a few, but to me, you talked really importantly about kind of the applicability of that. And that is to imagine a world where, where a provider would, instead of being focused on prescribing a pill to treat a sickness, which will always be around, is how do they connect and prescribe a social service to support the patients and their families in a smart way? And, you know, it's at constant pull and push that physicians are feeling um, around, you know, they don't have a lot of time to invest in, in these kind of social determinants and whole person care. So how do we link up other community members and other professionals that probably have a better, are better suited to do so in a really smart way? And, you know, that's going to be the challenge as we move forward around this whole person care trend. Right. You know what I love that you, you just mentioned in here is this whole idea of like person-centered um, because we're talking a lot about individuals, right? And one of the things I think we talk often about is like this whole idea of design thinking and, you know, thinking about where people are, right, in the center of all of this, because you want to have them engaged in their own health, but you want to give them the support, right, to tackle these big issues um, as well. And I think what's so interesting about Unite Us is that everything that they're doing right now has like a person-centered philosophy to it. And you know, I think their CEO even said, you know, 
we recognize, right, that as we move forward, um, improving outcomes is going to be really important. Um, and it's going to be critical to the healthcare system in this value-based care world. Uh, so we know that the technology is going to be important, but it has to be person-centered in order to make sure that people engage in utilizing right the services that are going to be at their disposal. So I think they're fascinating company, like really interesting stuff that they're doing. I think the really interesting thing about this whole notion of whole person care and centering on that personal experience, right, in the care moment and social determinants of health is that it's not just a, a moral imperative, but if the data can be harnessed appropriately, it becomes a real strategic differentiator and a performance driver as we shift ever more towards value-based care. I think according to class research, we've seen you know two schools in terms of who's getting involved in the fray. We talked a little bit about these vendors that are enabling the network in terms of connecting social services and providers or plans, but there's also a whole new array of vendors that are working to really provide those in-depth analytics to help payers and providers make sense of this complicated data and really start to document what this return on investment could be in terms of shifting to this whole person care model. Yeah, and Jen, I think there's there's a public health play in all of this that I find really interesting. And I think back to 2008, and I know that feels like a long time ago, right? But um, there was a little town called Albert Lee, Minnesota that adopted a pilot called the Blue Zone pilot. And it was a, an a adaptation, right, from Dan Buettner's studies across the world on applying principles where people lived longer and healthy, healthier lives by changing the way they ate, right, the way they worked, and the way they played. And this pilot was so fascinating to me because I think what we saw is a... I want to say collaboration, right, between public health, between government, between, you know, private sector that all came together in this town to say, okay, let's invest and see what happens to our health outcomes, right, to the longevity and lifespans of people, to managing chronic illness. And so they did things like build sidewalks, right? They put nutritionists in grocery stores. I mean, there were a lot of different things that they did, including adopting different tobacco policies and, and really driving what I would call citizen engagement. And I, I, I talk about this specifically because I think it's almost like they took all of these social determinants of health, but collectively as a community figured out how do we solve for this? You know, and I think that the challenge becomes obviously like Albert Lee is a very small town. So how does this become a scalable model that could be adopted in larger towns and even our cities? Um, but I think it speaks to some of the component pieces that you've talked about is, is that it's, it's about harnessing the data. It's obviously a bunch of um, different companies, right, that are involved in this. But it was the belief of the city that if they made an investment in the short term, that it would have some long-term benefits. And here we are 13 years later, and Albert Lee is still realizing benefits from this effort. So I, I just think it's a real-life example, you know, that we can talk to and point towards and say, okay, now, 13 years later, how do we think about this even broad, more broadly, right? And how do we, we think about um, what needs to happen to make this replicated in other towns across you know, the United States and even globally. I think the ROI, when we think about it, is like 
it's always going to feel a little bit short term. Um, and the realization of the benefits may not be, be immediate because you're talking about really moving the needle on behaviors, on mindsets, on beliefs, you know, on infrastructure. I mean, all sorts of things that take a while to kind of pull themselves through. So when I think about it, YRI, I almost think it's like you have to have this, this like long-term view on what you're going to get. And I think when you marry it, right, with what's going on in healthcare and this move towards value-based models, the two kind of run in parallel to one another um, because ultimately you're talking about managing populations and that is a critical aspect of any sort of value-based model that we're going to see kind of make its way into the marketplace. And healthcare organizations should not have to feel like they need to do it all. I mean, we talk about healthcare being local, but social services are also local and support systems are also local. And, you know, I think when we start to think about expanding the healthcare system to move more broadly into addressing social determinants of health, it's really understanding that there are so many partnership opportunities out there um, where social service um, organizations and community support organizations have already built some of the groundwork, but what they may need is an infusion of capital or they may need a partner to help pull and expand some of these efforts, you know, further into the community. So if I'm a leader in a healthcare organization, you know, part of this thought process has to be like, you know, what kind of investments do I make maybe over time? Or what do I do, you know, initially in a partnership model um, where I know it needs to be nurtured for a little while in order to see what the benefit and the end outcome is going to look like. Mindy, I think that's such a great point, you know, reframing that classic uh, make or buy question we have in terms of thinking through our, our business models, right, and applying it in this partnership com partnership context, you know, working with potentially new partners that these organizations are maybe not used to. And I want to call back to our, our previous episode earlier this year around that business model and partnership innovation. And I think really reiterate the importance of bringing that trust and that humility um, for our healthcare leaders that are partnering with these social service organizations, right? Like that's really the indispensable ingredient for a successful social determinants of health uh, partnership. And being able to really recognize the strengths of both organizations to create something that's, you know, better than the sum of its parts. I, for one, am really excited to see how this shift to whole person care and the interesting partnerships we see, collaborations, or even new efforts announced by this direct investment of healthcare companies played out over the next few years. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Trending Health. For links to resources discussed in the episode, to subscribe to the Trending Health Podcast and explore if Dynamic can help your company manage ongoing healthcare industry change, visit trendinghealth.com. Tune into the next episode where we look forward to providing you with more insights on the healthcare industry.